Lord, our God and Father, we praise you for your word, which is a light to us in a dark place. And we just pray that right now you would open our hearts and minds to these things. That as we meet with you in the proclamation of your word and the reading and the hearing of it, that we might be transformed. You would open us to really see you. And in seeing you, Lord God, have life. We thank you for these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And this week we'll be starting out in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. Now we've been going through Moses. We've been going through the great deliverances of God. And in going through the deliverances of God, we also go into the significance of these things. One of the interesting things about the Bible is that God rarely does anything for just the reason of doing it. Jesus rarely healed somebody without a deep and significant story. The dead were raised almost always with a background of fulfillment. And the entire Old Testament and the Old Covenant was speaking about things to come. So that when Christ did come, it was not really a surprise to anybody who had been paying attention for the last few thousand years, right? As a matter of fact, there were people there waiting for the child to be born. There was even one man who was promised of God that he would not die until he saw the Messiah. So many of these things from the Old Testament, they have New Testament significance and fulfillment, and some in deeper ways than others. Let's take a look at chapter 10 from verse 1. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. And that's another nicety that they throw into the translation, because it doesn't say overthrown, it says something really bad. But you guys understand what I'm saying. But when we go into scripture, we see that Christ was there the whole time. Now it does very specifically say they were baptized into Christ and they were baptized into Moses even in the Old Covenant. And the reason that the Apostle Paul is bringing this in is because very few of the Corinthians were Jewish. One of the things he wants to make sure that they grasp onto completely is they, he says there, he calls them his brothers and their brothers. In the same way the patriarchs were their fathers, now they're our fathers. We're adopted into a family, not our own, but so that we might share in a salvation begun with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob 2,000 years earlier than that. So here he's talking about a baptism because they'll be baptized, they won't be circumcised. But he wants to make sure we know that even they were baptized in the cloud and the sea. Now we did talk a little about these things like... These days, people have a hard time with miracles, right? We're a very mechanistic society. We believe in molecules in motion. We don't believe in spiritual things. If I can't touch it, I can't taste it, I can't feel it, then I'm not going to believe in it. And we talked a bit about how self-refuting that is. You really don't believe in anything you can't touch, taste, or see. You can't know anything but that. Well, how do you know that that's true? Did you touch it? Did you taste it? Did you feel it? The thoughts that go on in the heart, the soul, and the mind are the most important part of us, the thing we value the most. Is the things that we can't see. They're the most important things to being who and what we are. At the same time, they did not see these miracles for themselves. Yet they believe on them far off. But if you can't believe that Moses parted the Red Sea, you're going to have an even harder time believing in the resurrection from the dead. You know what I mean? 
And, you know, I went to cemetery, I mean seminary, and all that stuff. Uh, and I sat through the classes, and I had professors that were believers, and professors that were complete unbelievers, teaching me the Bible, you know? And I would talk with them, and we would go to lunch. Of course, they all got along. They, I was one of the only ones in the class that would admit to one of my professors that I thought he was an unbeliever, and, and he loved that. So we kept going to lunch and stuff like that, because he said, all the other kids lie to me. They think I'm a Christian. But he doesn't believe this, right? He teaches it because he's an expert in the ancient languages and the ancient cultures. He's studied it all, all his life. He's got tons of books out and things like that. But when it comes to something like the parting of the Red Sea, he just says it's physically impossible. What we have to remember is the things that we doubt in the Old Testament will become the things that we doubt in the New Testament. It might just take a little more time, right? But if there's a miraculous God that made heaven and earth from nothing by his almighty power, then he can certainly do something as simple as raising the dead, right? The reason this gets very important is because your hope for the next life is completely contingent upon the hope that these people had in their earthly life. That's what I mean by these things. These things that happened that were merely earthly, like the salvation of a person from physical death, which sometimes is all we really want, right? I just don't want to suffer and die. If he doesn't save them from mere physical death, how will he save us from spiritual death? Now here's the thing about suffering. It tends to get around, doesn't it? If you live long enough, you're going to have a sack full of it. I don't say this to make the children fear, I just say it as a fact of life, that it gets around. Nobody rides for free. Nobody has a perfect life. If they crucify Jesus, what will they do to us who follow him, right? We're not even as good as he was. And so we look at the things and the ordeals and the trail of tears that we kind of lead through in this life, and frankly, if you're going to make it psychologically and emotionally, you're going to have to have as big a sack of spiritual hope as you have of worldly sorrow. That's just the fact of it. Let's take a look back at Exodus chapter 17. Now this is not one of those churches, and there are lots of them around. I listen to all the sermons from the churches around here. Frankly, some of them are better than others. Um, but one of the things that I tend to see is happening in this area, because you have to be in tune with what's happening in your spiritual place and condition. What's happening in New York or Seattle doesn't matter as much as what's happening in South Haven and, uh, you know, Hernando, right? And I feel like sometimes in these sermons I'm listening to, they won't allow the people to suffer and grieve and cry. They're so busy trying to make them happy and rah-rah and encourage them, right? that they forget that they're real people with real suffering and real lives in the midst of Christ. And what I've tended to see happen in churches like that in the past is that eventually people just give up trying to be happy all the time because it's just not real, right? Jesus was so upset on the night that they took him, right, that he was praying in the garden, communing with his father, with whom he had perfect, unchecked communion, and he still sweat drops of blood because of his incredible anxiety about the ordeal that he was about to go through. And that was Jesus. In verse 6 here. I'll start a little before then. 
in the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Now we went in great detail over them coming out and going into the wilderness. How many of you have been in a wilderness, in a desert where there's just nothing? When I was a kid, for a while we lived in Las Vegas, Nevada, which is a great place for children to grow up. I'm just kidding. But you basically got the city. And at the center, there are the casinos that are kind of like the lifeblood. That's where the money comes in. And then there are all kinds of normal people and normal businesses. And then you get to the edge, and there's nothing for like 900 miles in every direction. So where do you think we went out to play? In the desert, right? So sometimes, I know we can do this when we were back then. You can't do this now. We were like 10 and 11 years old, and we'd get together a sack lunch and a bottle of water. And we'd put them on our bikes, and we would ride our bikes 20 miles out in the desert and climb the mountains. There was nothing. Once in a while you caught a horny toad, or once in a while you caught a lizard, or something like that. But other than that, not allowed in the desert. And we'd climb up into the mountains of this place called the Red Rocks, which were these great sandstone sculptures that God put there. We'd climb up to the top, and we'd look, and you could see the whole valley from mountains to mountains. And one of the things that used to overwhelm us was the quiet of it. You could just hear the wind whip through it. And you'd sit there, and your ears would start to ring after a while. Not because it was so loud, but because it was so quiet. And I remember the time I forgot to bring my water. Because I asked my brother Jimmy if I could have some of his, and he said no. <laughs> <laughs> and there's like nothing out there. Eventually he gave in. He was a good big brother, but he was still a big brother. You know how bad those are. <laughs> But the kind of thirst you have in the wilderness is a different thirst because the dryness just kind of sucks the water out of you. It's not passive dryness, right? It's not dryness like you have a Cracker Barrel when you're waiting for the water. It's this guy that might kind of like soaks the water out of your pores and sucks it into the wind. And this is the dryness that they were out in, in that desert that is now Saudi Arabia. Now you know from the maps, right? How much of Saudi Arabia is a lush green paradise? <laughs> That's where they spent their 40 years walking in that desert. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? And why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take your hand, the staff with which you struck the Nile. Remember when he parted the Red Sea? Then there was too much water, now there's not enough. It's interesting the way water comes up again and again. Don't think of it as an accident. It's part of the design of Scripture. What was there in the beginning when God said, Let there be light? There was light, and then the next day, what was there? Water. There was water, and then he separated the water from the land, he separated the sky. Water comes from the beginning. What was? What did God use when he wanted to purify the entire earth with a nice bath? Water. What are we baptized in? Water. So water coming up again and again. When you see things like earth, air, fire, and water come up, pay attention, because they're all used for particular purposes, mainly for purification, for sanctification, and as a type and shadow of the Holy Spirit. So he says, and Moses said, pass on before the people taking with you the elders and taking your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile. 
Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and the water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people, and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? You have to remember, this is after a thick bucket of miracles have been poured out on them, and they're still doubting the Lord. And what did he do with the staff? What did God tell him to do? To strike the rock. What did we see in the New Testament? What is the rock? The rock is Christ, right? The rock represented Christ, and so the water came out of the rock, and they were all saved by it, by drinking it, they and their animals, right? The million people all drinking in Christ in order to be saved. Are we drinking? Are we drinking today? Are we willing to drink? Or are we still grumbling that we don't have any water? Now the event happens again. That's the funny thing about it. The same event happens again later in Numbers chapter 20. Let's turn over there. From verse 2. Now there was no water for the congregation. This is a much later time. And they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had perished when our brothers had perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into the wilderness that we should die here, both we and our cattle? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this place? It's no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates. And there's no water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron went up from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. Now what's the difference between that time and this time? Did he say, smite the rock with your rod? Tell the rock. Speak to the rock in the original language. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give them to drink the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he was commanded. Now, you guys know Moses never went into the promised land, right? Everyone else went in. Moses didn't go in. This is the thing that made him not able to go into the promised land. So it has marked theological significance, but especially because the rock was Christ, and the rock had already been smitten, right? And the people had another need. And you don't have to strike Christ twice. Once is sufficient for all your needs, right? But look what happened. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. And he said to them, hear now, you rebels. Notice how his entire tone is different. This is years later, and frankly, Moses is a little bit sick of them. Isn't he? They've been grumbling, and now they're grumbling again, and he's kind of had it up to here. Shall we now bring water for you out of this rock? Really, was Moses bringing the water out of the rock? And Moses lifted up his hand. And he struck the rock with his staff twice. And water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me, 
to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel. Therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarrel with the Lord. And through them he showed himself holy. Now here's the thing. Who are you in this divine display, this narrative being given? Are you Moses? Not really, right? Aaron? Are you the Lord? No, that doesn't work. <laughs> We're the people, right? So one of the messages here is the Lord always delivers, just not necessarily on our timeline. Another thing is, when we're suffering, we speak to the rock, all right? The rock's already been smitten. The rock's already been broken. God would never allow his people to just perish there in the wilderness. But all you need to do is speak. Now, I know that seems simplistic. It's not. Otherwise, we wouldn't have to read so long to get here, right? But the way these things happen, let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. The way these things happen in these weird physical events that save physical lives but it teach you about spiritual matters with which you should already be conversant. That the Lord your God is a saving God. The Lord your God is a loving God. And he will provide you with everything that you need for faith and life. Right now, we read those sections out of the confession. And one of the important things it said there is justification is immediate. It happens right now. You are clean in the eyes of God. Period. That's why the imputation of Christ's righteousness to you, and you have it. It's not a process. It happens the moment you believe, and you are clean before God because Christ is clean before God. Then it has this itchy section about sanctification. Did you mention it? Did you notice that? And what it says is the way, you know, we reform say sanctification is a process. Somebody's messing up, they're having ups and downs, they're going through all kinds of stuff. Sanctification is a process. Sanctification is ugly. Justification is beautiful, right? But it says that the remaining aspects of sin left in the believer will cause them to struggle through this whole life with what's going good and what's going bad and to cry out to the Lord. You're being made holy because you're already holy, right? You're holy in the sight of God by Christ alone. You're being made holy because his spirit infuses into you grace through which you will be transformed through the course of this life. And every one of us will be more holy at the end of life than we were at the beginning of it, because that's the course of it. Do you struggle with sin? Not me, just kidding. <laughs> if you struggle with sin, you're like every other Christian. But we say, no, only the non-Christian struggles with sin. There's two problems with that. First of all, the non-Christian does not struggle with sin. They're professionals. <laughs> it does not occur to them to struggle with sin, right? They might struggle with it for many different reasons, because they want a better life, or they want to do this, or they want to do that. But it's, they don't sit around weary in tears over the struggle with sin, right? The other thing is to assume that the Christian does not is to assume that they've already been perfected in this life. And that's not going to happen. Our freedom is set up for the next life. Once we get rid of this body of sin, which, hey, I'm still in my 50s, but I'm already looking forward to it on some every other Tuesday and Wednesday, right? Every time I can't pick up my keys, I think about it a little bit. Oh! oh. And my kids ask me, will we be able to fly in the next life? Right? And I have to tell the truth. I don't know, but it sounds pretty good to me, right? What Jesus was like in his resurrected self, you have to remember that that was not a show of his deity. 
You can't see his deity. He is God, fully God. And so he is everywhere and all-powerful and all-knowing. But in his humanity, they, some of his close friends didn't even recognize him after the resurrection. And he had to open their eyes, and then they saw him, and they worshipped. But also in the book of John, when John sees him in heaven, he's like burnished bronze, and he glows like fire. And that is also not his deity. That is his perfected humanity. So we will not all die, but we will all be changed. And we will all be raised on the last day because of what's been done for us and because of what's being done in us. One of the biggest controversies in the church right now is still over justification. 500 years since the Reformation, we're still having this argument. And what a lot of people say is, yes, we're justified by the instrument of faith, right? But not by faith alone. We're also justified by our good works, right? So they don't deny that we're justified by faith or that faith is required. They just say that it's not faith alone. It's also faith and good works. And God will look on your good works on the last day, and he will accept you if they're good enough. And that is where we step back and say, no. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel of another fellow. So in this, we know that we're saved by Christ alone, but we're also being saved by Christ alone, so that on the last day we will be saved by Christ alone, right? There are three parts to it, our justification, our sanctification, and eventually our glorification. And all three of these need to take place for us to be completely and totally saved. We, we have a big focus in American theology on getting saved, right? We all want people to get saved, right? Well, the mere focus of your belief and the fact that you were regenerate by the Holy Spirit only takes a moment, but it's only one part of the whole. The resurrection from the dead is the last thing that you expect in your being saved. You have been saved from death. You must be saved from death again. That's what you're hoping for, and that's what you're believing in. Now let's read this place in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 again. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food and all the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. So this is the thing we're going to focus on. Next week we're going to talk about manna, which was another great deliverance that happened to them. That God actually fed them from heaven, the very food of heaven. But today, let's just focus on the fact that God is giving us, even now, living water. And we speak to the rock, and he will fill us. We are already complete. Let's continue that we might be completed. Do you understand what I'm saying? Let's pray. Lord our God and Father, we thank you for the spiritual drink that you give us, that the water that makes someone never thirst again has been given to us. Let us live and take account as if we already understand these things. It is one thing for them to be true, and it's another thing for us to live as if they're true. And if we depend on you alone, Lord God, you will never disappoint us. You will always encourage and you will fill us to overwhelming with the light and life of hope. We praise you and thank you for this blessing in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Please rise and we'll sing number 30.
Christian, look up and receive the blessing of God. Not that I give you the blessing, but as a proxy, as a representative, I declare to you what the Lord declares. May the Lord your God bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.
have the card games. I'm not there. No. not there. Thank <laughs> you. 
13, period. I'm not 13 quite yet. I'm, yeah. I'm 11 right now, so I'm going to be 12. And oh, I'm next year. Oh, gosh. We always try to rush it. Yeah, yeah, then we're going to slow it down. Oh, oh yeah. 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 Young girls want to look older. I'm older. You can make them look a little younger. Yeah, but all the only time we want to look older is when we know. Yes. And then when you finally reach it, they go, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, 21. Reverse. Especially 25. Yeah. Do you need a green book too? Yeah, I'm not sure you do. No, we should all be here. That took so long. Alright, the money changers are back. Don't go for me out of the we were talking about our, our, our childhood. When I was growing up, we didn't have a father in the house. We had my mom, and she was always angry. She didn't use a whip, she used a dog collar. It had a silver nameplate on it, and that's what she lit into when she got angry. That's really the expression. Oh, yeah. Okay, well, because I, I wasn't letting her do my backside, so I, I'm doing this, and I had welts all on my arm. What is he talking about? Why are you sitting growing up? Because this is where we are. Have a yes. <laughs> this what is the way it's going to be. Well, we're going to do and can it be. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you're well, when we perform it, you'll be over there and they'll be over there. Oh, oh, okay. We're starting that phase. Okay. No, Chris was going to play with the uh, levels. His keys are here by his. What? Chris's keys, I guess, are by the guitar, the car keys. Yeah. <laughs> that microphone works. Yeah. Okay. Testing one, two, three, four. That will work over there. Yeah. Well, there's something over there. Thank you all for coming. And I hope that you have time to get to the splendid bowl and be entertained by the 49ers and the Chiefs. I'm Maria from Kansas City because I'm from Missouri. Could not care less Who are they playing? San Francisco. Oh, Kansas City. Kansas City. Yeah, for sure. Anybody but the 49ers. Yes. Now, now, now. That's right. Who's singing this song? Thank you. 
Not <laughs> enough to say anything out loud. Yeah. Clearly thinking about something. Yeah. Every time. I feel like I need to hear you. Oh my gosh. Yeah. 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 It was from the store, but like you know, I have it, but it's from the store. Yeah. Oh, the lightning! The lightning not there. Pressure. Yeah, it's a pressure from the store, but I like still can't hear it. Yeah. Well, I'm not a doctor, and I don't play one on TV. My son's doctor, when he had stuff in his ear, recommended Sudafed because the decongestant will help. Real Sudafed, not that fake stuff. But you can you have to get prescription. You can right. go to Tennessee, and you don't need a prescription. You just give them your ID. Oh, really? yeah. What do we need to tell Carol Ann about this? That's what Steve Right, yeah. She was saying. Yeah, well, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to give you guys a hard time and let you know that because yeah. I work at FedEx, you have the FedEx uh, Health Center, and they have a Walgreens pharmacy, so it costs with 96 packet of the regular ones, it's it's like 94 cents. <laughs> it's like, you're kidding me! I'll buy lots of them, they only let you buy one a month, so... Continuing from where it speeds up a little bit, but we'll take it a little bit slower. One, two, 